0: It's Annalisa, and this is All he Is. Songs are escapism. Songs are vehicles for our ambition and projection. Songs help us to feel like we are not alone, like somebody else gets it even if we can't quite express how we're feeling. And, of course, songs unite us. I can't tell you how many connections I've made in a night of karaoke or walking down the street in a band t-shirt. And we looked at this earlier in the series with footy club songs in episode two. But what about the way songs can divide? How do we use music to document history and either conceal or tell truth about our experiences? Songs are vital tools to refresh our collective memory, or tell us about how things once were long after that time has passed. They also legitimise and elevate human experiences to a level of importance. Genres like blues, country and folk music are built on this. And so we start this episode looking at another song, one that is meant to speak for a lot of people like an entire country.
1: National anthems are about a collective thought, a oneness for the people that those national anthems are penned about. Here on to I land In this place to make a stand With respect
0: This is Kutcher Edwards, a songman revered for his work with groups like the Black Arm Band, amongst many others, and his solo work. This song, Blind Joe's Creek, is from his album Black and Blue. He was born on the banks of the Murrumbidgee River at Balranald in New South Wales. He was born on his country and is a proud Mutti Mutti man. Kutcher is among many of the Stolen Generations. In fact, Kutcher named his debut solo album Kuinda. It was the name of the children's home he was forced to live in after the government took him from his parents. In this episode, we take a deeper look at the utility of song and focus on its importance in First Nations cultures in Australia. Right now, we're outside the Aboriginal Advancement League. As you'll hear, it's next to a busy train line and building site in Thornbury,
1: a suburb of Melbourne. That's Thornbury train station by the way. There's, a, there, there's trains. Oh, it's crazy around here. It doesn't matter which way we turn. Let's there's peak Speak out. When a national anthem doesn't sing about first Australians, sing about Kutcher Edwards as a mutty, mutty person. When Kutcher Edwards was born prior to the referendum in 1967, Kutcher Edwards wasn't born an Australian citizen. So how does that song represent me? How does that song represent Mary Edwards, my mum, Nugget Edwards, my father, or his descendants. So you look at a National Anthem such as the Australian National Anthem and there's not one mention of the First Peoples, of of our existence, our connection to this place. So a National Anthem is supposed to encompass everybody and not just the privileged.
0: Back in the late 90s, Australia was, like the rest of the world, bracing for the millennium bug, gearing up for the 2000 Sydney Olympics and the reconciliation movement was highly charged with marches around the country and 250,000 people walking across the Sydney Harbour Bridge in what was called the People's Walk for Reconciliation. And Kutcher Edwards found himself at one of those moments in life when worlds collide. It came in the form of an unexpected phone call from Judith Durham of The Seekers. He recorded a song called Yilal as part of the Singers for the Red, Black and Gold. They were an all-star group featuring icons of Australian music of the time, Paul Kelly, Renee Geyer, Titus, Archie Roach, Ruby Hunter and Judith Durham. Anyway, Judith wants him to sing the Australian National Anthem with her at a concert.
1: I said, Judith, could I tell you something? And I said, "Uh, I remember when I was in the children's home in Burwood, I would have been about five or six, and every weekend there'd be people who would come and take you on rides to the country. And I think what, what was happening is prospecting adoptive parents, that's what used to happen. And I remember listening, in the wireless in the, on the radio, you know, in, in the car, rock and roll and riding out along the bed. Oh, bound for Morningtown, many miles away. The Seekers. I remember it as if it was yesterday. And here I am talking to Judith Durham, you know.
0: On the one hand, he is thrilled to be talking to one of his childhood idols on the phone and that she wants to work with him again, but not about what she was asking him to do.
1: With all due respect, my dear, I can't sing that song. Sorry. You know, it's your national anthem, not mine. So we're on the phone for a good, you know, hour and a half, two hours. And we left it at that.
0: About a year and a half later, she calls back. She's been thinking. She wants to know if they can work on an anthem that includes this country's First Nations people. And another lengthy conversation ensues, which has a real impact on Kucha.
1: So I sat up till about five, six o'clock that morning after that conversation. So my brain, my spirit is just working overtime. And I emailed her what I thought would be, you know, suffice if I was to ever sing that song and she moulded it all together, she cut and pasted and she came up with Judith Durham's Advance Australia Fair. And I said, yep, that's close to what I'm feeling. Australians let us stand as one upon this sacred land. A new day dawns we're moving on to trust and understand. Combine our ancient histories and cultures everywhere to bond together for all time, Advance Australia Fair. And when this special land of ours is in our children's care, from shore to shore forevermore, Advance Australia Fair. With joyful hearts and let us sing, Advance Australia Fair.
0: Kutcher goes on tour in regional Victoria, and he's singing this song to an audience of school students. He's into the second verse and notices a woman stand up and assumes that it's for all the wrong reasons and that she's leaving. But she doesn't leave. And then others stand, adults and kids.
1: And I'm thinking, holy sheep shit. The whole school's at attention. That's what was envisaged in writing what we wrote. That's what you live in. You live in hope that something might resonate, not just for Aborigines, but for Australians as a whole. And I couldn't finish the song, I was, I was gone. I sat back and I thought, that's what it's about. Non-Aboriginal people understanding that, imagine if their families had been treated in the way that my family has. Not just me, but my people, my country.
0: Butcher's descendants, the Mutti Mutti people, are the southern caretakers of Lake Mungo in southeastern New South Wales. This is where some of the most important human remains ever found in Australia were discovered, and they're called Mungo Woman and Mungo Man. In fact, they are the oldest known human remains found outside of Africa, dating back around 60,000 years. Prior to this discovery, scientists thought that humans had been on the continent for a few thousand years. This was clear proof that that was incorrect. Mungo woman and Mungo man are Kutcher's
1: ancestors. The thing is, Aborigines, we can't can't go to uh, Ancestry.com because Ancestry.com wouldn't go beyond 250 years. So who are we connected to? Who do we belong to? And it's all in our dreaming, it's not, in, not, in, not what's on a, on a document in a computer. And so the balance of what is in your intellect compared to what is in your spirit, in your knowingness of who you're connected to, is way beyond intellect. It's, it's about, it's, it is about ancestry, millennia. Try and stick that in your, the iPad upstairs. When you walked onto certain area, you'd uh, you have to sing to the country and ask for permission by the ancestors. Am I allowed to walk there? Not in the sense I'm coming, but am I allowed to come here? That's the way that the law and the world was and still is to this day. The songs spoke of the actual structure of law. You would have to have known the song line to walk anywhere here on this place and know why, metaphorically, why the kangaroo will only hop around that side of the tree, not the left side or or whatever, and understand why the guana does what it does when it does it.
0: Kutcher was denied this rightful connection to his culture when he was forcibly taken away from his family at just 18 months old. He was one of 12 children born to Nugget and Mary Edwards in 1965. Kutcher, along with five of his siblings, were removed from the family home at Bulrinald. Kutcher's earliest memory is of being alone in his cot in a dark room, frightened and distressed. He was later moved to a Rana Methodist children's home, where he was reunited with his older sisters and brothers. They were kids themselves, but Kutcher's siblings worked hard to protect and nurture him within the institutional environment. Nugget and Mary's marriage broke down due to the pain of losing their children, and Mary moved to Gippsland. A cousin of Kutcher's had managed to trace records of the kid's whereabouts through the Department of Aboriginal Affairs and the Department of Human Services, and contacted Mary Edwards. Kutcher was six years old when he and his siblings got a message that they had a visitor at the Irana children's home. It was his mum. He didn't recognize her, so he was hiding behind his brothers and sisters. They had three hours together and then it took another seven years after that visit before Mary Edwards was granted permission to have the three youngest of her stolen children back, and Kutcher was one of them. As adults, they became close again, and she was with him when he was awarded the National Indigenous Persons Award as part of NAIDOC Week in 2001. Having her with him at the ceremony is a really precious memory for Kutcher.
1: As a a young fellow, you grow up and you feel like each day you you take as it comes and you live and you you wake up, you go have your shower, you put your clothes on, you go to school. There you're a statistic, you come home and, and life is what it is. But meanwhile, you don't understand the systemic racism that permeates through an Aboriginal person's existence.
0: Kutcher has found inspiration in elders like Auntie Almathorpe, who founded the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, and Jock Austin, who established the Fitzroy Stars Aboriginal Youth Club Gym. They were elders who looked beyond themselves and tried to improve life for their people. Kutcher lives by a philosophy that it is his responsibility to try and make a difference for others, and his music creates connections across cultures, generations and spaces. One of the projects he's involved in is as a long-term producer for Beyond the Bars, a prison radio show featuring the stories, poems, songs and opinions of Indigenous men and women in the Victorian prison system.
1: You know, That's why I do what I do in, in regards to, you know, beyond the bars. and We are the most imprisoned people per capita in the world, Aboriginal people here in this country. And too many times we've been told to shut up and sit in the corner. The pebble has been dropped for me and I won't budge from that. Everything intertwines into my responsibility, not for me. My responsibility is for 50 generations from now because there's only been probably six or seven generations since 1788. So it's hard to project all that distance down the timeline.
2: When the irish sails away
0: Music stores our memory and is an avenue for truth. Over time, truth is often lost or buried. This is Jessie Lloyd, and she is singing about a ship called the IREX that her grandmother, Alma Coots, was sent to Palm Island on in 1925 at six years old. Alma was taken by force, along with her baby sister and brother, by police horsemen just outside of Cooktown in Far North Queensland and the traditional lands of the Cuckoo Imithira people. Jessie is shining a light on music that tells the story of her own family and of the many stolen generations, removed from their lands and families and sent to the Aboriginal Christian Missions.
2: Just day-to-day life, songs they used to sing, uh, you know, when there were social events or family gatherings, just sharing their experiences on what they were thinking and feeling at the time. And it's such a rare insight because a lot of the material and and resources we have on the mission days are not Indigenous perspective. You know, you can read the history books and it's written by a non-Indigenous person about what was happening on the missions and why. But very rarely you hear it from the horse's mouth and and these songs have those first-hand accounts. Uh, My name is Jessie Lloyd. I'm an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander musician from North Queensland. My family come from Palm Island and currently working on my Mission Songs Project. Mission Songs Project is uh, an initiative to research and revive the early contemporary folk songs from the Aboriginal missions and settlements across Australia from about the early to mid 20th century. Yeah I feel like music is the the medium or the tool that I use to not only represent my community but also contribute and progress. The community, I feel like it's a really valuable tool to do what I can to to make things better. Music is a very powerful way to create change and to create healing and create connections and I want to use that to contribute to my own Indigenous community. Music is very much
0: in Jessie's blood and more specifically protest music. Her grandfather was a multi-instrumentalist and was the conductor of the Palm Island Brass Band in the 40s and 50s. Very early on, he was writing music about land rights and in 1957, there was an incident on Palm Island which resulted in the family being exiled.
2: Uh, When my grandfather, his name was Albie Geyer and six other men led a strike against the um, Queensland government and the superintendent who was managing Palm Island Aboriginal settlement and I think... You know, that was quite a significant event. Uh, and then later on, he in the 60s, write, write, write a song about independence and freedom and sovereignty, which is quite early in, in terms of the protest movement move, and, and land rights. It wouldn't be until my father's generation that it would be a, an actual movement in in the Indigenous community. My dad, his name's Joe Guy, he's a very well-known uh, Aboriginal musician from the 80s and 90s. With bands like Wurrumpi Band, he was in No Fixed Address, uh, coloured Stone, all the kind of pre-Yothi Indy days, sort of when the um, protest movements were coming.
0: Music was ever-present in Jessie's house growing up. She has memories of amps and guitars and practices and people her dad toured with hanging out, like Mundaway Yunipingu from Yothi Indy or Christine Anu. In fact, Jessie's dad, Joe Gaia, wrote this song. Yilal. It was responsible for Kucha Edwards meeting Judith Durham when the singers to the Red, Black and Gold recorded their version of it. Yilal means sing in Gugu Yimithir language, and it's a really important song, one that is regularly described as an Aboriginal anthem.
3: I sing for the black and the people
0: Jesse's latest work, The Mission Songs Project, has uncovered important songs that document everyday life for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who were sent to the missions under the assimilation policy. These songs share the day-to-day realities of separation, struggle and survival, and were sometimes set to hymns or popular tunes of the day. And on top of the importance of documenting them permanently for current and future generations, singing these songs now creates an important
2: opportunity. I feel like first of all it it gives australians an opportunity to understand their past and to understand ourselves and that's something that isn't really understood yet when they understand what happened and why from both sides of the coin that gives an opportunity for um healing and, and connection because a lot of people don't understand why indigenous Australians are so unhappy and disadvantaged and therefore oppressed and sometimes it's as simply as easy as just sharing their side of the story and so somebody goes oh look I didn't know like I feel like maybe this is my next big project I don't know but I feel like this country needs to have a big family meeting and kind of go well you know back in the day this is what happened so-and-so did this today, you know, and we can talk about it in a safe place and in a safe way so we can all share and feel like we all have a voice. These old mission songs, I feel like, give these old people their chance to put their voice forward because they would, never would have had a chance before.
0: But what is it about a song that connects us outside of our time, place and experience so well with others?
2: Yeah, well, I think when people share their stories through song, it's an invitation for other people to join in and not only join in, but to relate. You know, there's a lot of these old songs from the mission days about saying farewell to their loved ones, and and these are the kids that have been taken for the Stolen Generation, you know. But here a song that the parents sang, they weren't saying Stolen Generation. They were just simply wishing them well and hoping to see them again. And that's something that any human can relate to with loss and seeing a loved one go. And it's that human experience that, um, that music doesn't take sides with. So I think, you know, sharing these songs is is a great way for people to um, have more understanding.
0: The missions era is largely thought to have been from Australia's federation in 1901 till the Australian referendum on Aboriginal rights in 1967. But the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were shamefully governed by colonising forces long before federation. And the fallout is still being felt today. The assimilation policy, which was only formally abolished in 1973, governed the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, resulting in the forced removal of children from their families and placement in children's homes, Christian missions, on reservations or other state-sanctioned institutions. I mentioned that Kucha Edwards and Alma Coots, Jessie's grandma, were members of the Stolen Generation. That's the name given to these children who were taken from their families. Jesse's research into the missions era details that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people endured forced removal from their traditional lands, the forced removal of children from their families, and restrictions against practising traditional cultures and languages. The aim was to end traditional social structures and connections to country, and as a result, cultural knowledge and practices were vilified, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people suffered institutionalised oppression, violence, and disadvantage. It also meant that people from different clans, nations and language groups were placed together in the same institutions, often away from their country.
2: What happened when people were mixed? Like a lot of the times, you know, there might have been warring tribes or there might have been wrong skin, you know, you're not supposed to look at that person or you're not supposed to go near that, but they they had to line up together in the dormitories. A lot of the times their cultural, traditional songs and stuff were completely stripped, especially with the kids. They weren't allowed to talk the language. Um, but another thing that happens sometimes too is that um, the Blackfellas, had tricked the missionaries and they sing this language song. I'll sing it for you now quickly. It goes, Barawanda na, Irukawalamba, Barawanda, Walu, something like that. And the English translation is, He sends the rainbow, the lovely rainbow. He sends the rainbow with the rain. Anyway, them, this is out back of Burke, and the kids used to sing this song, and the missionaries said, you can't sing that song. And they said, no, no, it's about Jesus, but it was about the rainbow serpent. And the missionaries like, oh, yeah, let him go. So, you know, little sneaky things like that would happen. But generally, complete severing of uh, that traditional culture.
0: The Mission Song Project has seen Jesse travel far and wide across Australia to sing. And one of these visits took her to Moree in northwest New South Wales with fellow musician Emma Donovan. Like Jessie, Emma also hails from a very musical family, and when they perform, they aren't just representing themselves, but their whole family.
2: Both her and I, when we practice, it's um, very much a, a cultural thing because we're representing our families when we go out. So we're in Moree and we did this community concert and these old, these old girls are at the back, arms crossed, watching us singing you know and 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 sussing us out thinking who these girls are and we came to the end of the show and they were just sort of eyeballing and come to the point where we we're going to sing a song from Maury which is you know their own song and they were watching and the the show could have gone two ways they could have been really offended and, and kicked us out of town or it could have gone really well and luckily for us it went really well they got real happy and, and they made us sing the song three times in a row. Uh, and they pulled out the spoons and they started dancing, and, and it was, they were really happy to hear the old song from the Maury settlement. It was called Middle Camp. Here is a song I'll sing to you. It's the dream I'd like to see come true. It's about the Middle Camp and the days gone by. Where I used to wander, my dear old pal and I—that used to be my home, sweet home. A lot of them were old ladies. Was were born there. It's shut down now, and they hadn't heard that song for ages. And that's because, well, when Emma and I travel, you know, we're representing our families, and it's more of a cultural protocol for us to to go in. Whereas if, sometimes, if a non-indigenous person goes in as an academic and wants to take somebody's cultural knowledge and put it in a thesis and then put it on the shelf is not received as well for us it was really exciting and that's that's a lot of the magic that happens on the road with communities and the power of a
0: of a song apparently after this happened the elders of mori were so happy with this song that they now use a recorded version at their funerals they're also talking with the local council about cleaning up middle camp and creating a memorial there they are proud of where they grew up and want to celebrate it as a community
2: so one little simple song can have a big impact on a, on a community. I think it creates an emotional connection. There's something you know, in a melody and there's something in a lyric that can touch people in a way that black and white on a paper may not do. I think there's a magic to music. We all love music and we all fall in love with it and it makes us feel certain things. So that's the power of music, you know, that uh, not many other things can do. Down by the dream. Just stop my heart from leaking with pain. I'm gonna pitch a tent. I won't have to pay no rent. Cause I'm gonna build that middle camp again.
1: Music for me is my healing. Holistic healing, you know. I've performed at Dream Time at the G twice. It's not about the 80,000 people in attendance to there, there to watch Essendom play Richmond. For me, it was about the 300 Aboriginal kids that uh, stood around the boundary line, walking up onto the, to the grass, and you walk up and you get closer and closer to the stage. And all these Aboriginal kids are, Uncle Kutcha, and their thumbs up, and they're, oh, deadly, my Uncle Kutcha, love you. And to me, that's what it's about. What's happening is they're connecting themselves to you and they're proud of what you're doing. And they're hoping and they're dreaming, I can't speak for them, but they're dreaming that one day they get the opportunity to sing their song line about their existence on this place and if they go on to be singers that they get to do what Uncle Kutcher did. And you'll have little Aboriginal boys and girls now who can go on to play in the AFL. It's about this circle of life it's about this and it's the dropping of the pebbles in the imaginary ponds to create a ripple that is not about the individual it's about the existence of us as people connected to our clans and our tribes and and not being scared to proclaim that
2: the other day, his name I do not know. When I asked him where he came from, he soft and low. I'm just an you know, these kind of stories and songs is totally not about me. And the, the cool thing about including other um, Indigenous singers is that every single one of them has a family connection to a mission or to a song or through their grandparents. You know, and it just enriches the story, you know. There's a song in in the Mission Songs project that was written by Emma Donovan's grandfather. I was um, looking through some old songs and I seen the name, Miko and Aileen Donovan. And I rang up Emma, I said, who's Miko and Aileen Donovan? She's like, oh, that's my grandparents. I'm like, sis, I'm gonna send you this email. There's there's an old song here I got from recording. You know, and they passed away decades ago. That was a big moment for her and her family to hear them old people's voices again. And so now we've been travelling, singing that song. It's called Outcast, Halfcast. And it's especially special when Emma gets up and sings it. She's not singing for herself, she's representing her family. And that song represents all the people who were sent to missions for being mixed race.
1: Everybody has, has the right to tell their story, their songline, their existence on this place, and, and not be told that their voice doesn't count. All our voices count, not just the loud, loudest ones. A six-month-old who lives in, the, in a house in a Reservoir with, with her parents, and along comes the seventh month and she passes away. And that little voice is no longer heard. That old nana who's hitting 94 and she wants to, you know, talk about when she was at school and, and her dealings and interactions with the rednecks that lived in her, in her township. But if you recorded it on an iPhone, the advent of technology, you can just sit there and record your, your conversations with, with your children.
0: Technology now offers a unique tool for people who have been oppressed to reclaim their own narrative and dispel those imposed upon them. It offers a future where there is a real possibility for a democratisation of history telling and keeping.
2: Music, I think, has a way of transcending time and space. And if you're singing old people's songs, it's like, you know, it's like you're sitting there next to them sometimes, even though they're long gone singing these old mission songs is a way to explore that same spiritual side. I used to be a, go to church and I, and I don't anymore. So I'm quite skeptical about what spirituality is. But I do know for a fact that with with music that um there is a sp- spiritual side that uh, it it exists and and music has the ability to kind of explore that or to um to to delve in it. And if you go to a church and you listen to the hymns and you kind of feel it there, or if you go to other cultures and other religions, and when they sing, there's a sort of a lot of traditional chanting, it takes you places that you've never been before.
1: As we gathered as one to hear the truth spoken. Sorry days pass All those promises broken In search of the truth When I first
0: introduced Coach Edwards, I described no him not as a musician or a songwriter, but as a songman. This choice of words is important because it marks a distinction. Kutcher has a profound sense of all those that have come before him, and his voice channels the spirit and strength of his family, country, and his inheritance of a culture that stretches back more than 60,000 years.
1: I believe that I'm a 60,000-year-old spirit walking this earth in a 54-year-old vehicle. Songwriting is, is again suggesting that songwriting is controlled by my intellect. Uh, why is that paragraph or why is that verse the verse? The reality for me is that I am not the songwriter of that verse. I am just a conduit for it. There's a difference. And I believe, I believe that every song that has ever been, in a sense, penned by me, comes to me in all my languages, is transposed into the common language that I speak, which is English, which is a foreign language to me, which is a foreign language to this place. I also have a saying, just because I penned a song yesterday doesn't make it a day old. I believe that all my songs are millennia, they're they're 60,000 to 100,000 years.
0: And back to that song we talked about at the start of this episode, the one Kutcher wrote with Judith Durham, Judith Durham's Advance Australia Fair. Well, the whole project raises complicated feelings for Kutcher for many reasons.
1: I don't agree with the Constitution as it stands. I would not be in agreement for Judith Durham's Advance Australia Fair to become the new national anthem, if, if it were ever to be muted, I would say I don't agree with the terms of engagement uh, of that constitution. It's complex. You, know, you, you do what you do because you're asked to do it. And I was asked of my opinion. I gave my opinion to Judas. I handed over my spirit to that process. But then once you figure out in your own spirit, oh, And in a sense, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's called Judith Durham's Advance Australia Fair. To me, even that's a misdemeanour, to to label it Judith Durham's. You know, that's nothing against her, that's just the the publicity engine that happens and...
0: Ah, yes, the music publicity engine. In contemporary Western society, you could be forgiven for thinking that music and the business of music are one and the same thing. Much of the narrative about music, what's important to us, what gets our attention, is driven by the music industry. The focus is on units for sale, professional makers, publishers and producers, the cult of the individual. And that's all important, but it's only the tiniest tip of the iceberg. If this is all we focus on, we completely miss out on how music in all of its forms has helped us to connect and communicate for the whole of human history. For many First Nations cultures the world over, oral storytelling traditions are paramount. The dominant history documented in books and taught in schools has been written by colonizers and not by communities themselves. Songs provide a vital insight, context and depth into life, culture, tradition and law for many First Nations cultures.
1: The reality is that I've been at it for 30 years and not one record company has ever come to sit with me and I don't want them to. I'm in it to educate the uneducated. Come and have the conversation with the Aborigine, with Kutcher Edwards, and you get to know him. For me, it's about dropping the pebble in the pond. I say it all the time and creating the ripple and come and have a conversation with me. You'll get to know me and my family beyond me, you know. That's the that's the the key to it all.
2: The challenge is patience these songs are over a hundred years old I need to learn patience but then you got your normal music industry hurdles which is you know, which really seems small fry in the scale of how old these songs are and all the people connected and the potential that these songs can contribute to, you know, our cultural identity as a nation.
3: I'm going to sing now, yeah. I think that say about little song. Down in the kitchen, <laughs> down in the kitchen, where we all eat potato Sometimes I mean tea, a water, a no sugar, and <laughs> is the wheat, stick to my rib.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is Jessie's grandmother, Alma Gaia, singing down in the kitchen on the Mission Songs Project album, The Songs Back Home.
2: What I found with the Mission Songs Project is there has been a continuation of song traditions. We just sing in English and on Western instruments, but the original purpose remains of songs still being passed down from generation to generation. The songs that are written and being sung have cultural, social and, and environmental factors and change and knowledge. The song Outcast, Halfcast." by Emma Donovan's grandparents is more relevant to us nowadays, even though it was written in the 50s, you know, than than a traditional song about walking in the bush. But that's the whole purpose of song cycles and song traditions. I think indigenous people still manage to practise cultural traditions just in English and almost instruments.
1: You would sing a traditional song in a cultured melody, and that's why Yothi Indi were, were so unique in the fact that they were singing old songs to contemporary melody, the new instrument, guitar, keyboard, drums, and they were moulding the two worlds. It's not just about the here and now. And, and the thing for me is that and the advent of technology, a CD, or putting it on, on an MP3 and storing it in a computer, and my songs will live on way after I enter that dreaming. So the song is very important, the song explains who we are without, without sitting there and trying to articulate it in this, this weird language called English. Yeah, I, I just want my grandchildren, all of the grandchildren that, that call me Pop, is that when I'm not here, I'll still be here in song and still singing on country, for country, about country. And about them as my family. And that's the that's the key to it all is, is not my presence, not my physical presence, but my spirit that, that they feel that they know, that they understand. Because I look at ah oh, there's pop in the iPhone. There's nothing better than that. Because the reality is that I I never had the opportunity to sit with my nanas and my pops, you know, being taken away from them. But when I go to that place of, of my dreaming, when I close my eyes at night, and I dream, not in, a, not in a dreamland state while I'm asleep, when my spirit enters deep listening, that silence at night, I'm sure I, I get cuddled by my nana, all my nanas and all my pops, you know? And I sit on country and they sing in language to me, and, and that's where I'm truly at peace and at home. I'm home long way away from here, you know.
0: Kutcher Edwards and Jesse Lloyd for being a part of this episode and for letting us use their music on the show. Thanks also to Joe Gaia for permission to use his track Yellul. The songs you heard in this episode were Blind Joe's Creek and Scars by Kutcher Edwards, Yellul by Joe Gaia, and from the Mission Songs Project and Jesse Lloyd, The IREX, Outcast Halfcast, Middle Camp, Down in the Kitchen Reprise, and Now is the Hour medley. Please go and buy this music. Thanks to Beth Atkinson-Quinton for editorial support. And we shall see you next time with the final story for season one of
3: All Ears.
0: Just a reminder, if you haven't already, please subscribe to All Ears on your preferred platform and it makes a world of difference to me and the show if you can rate it and leave a review on that platform. It's super quick and easy to do this and it really helps other people find the show, particularly when you're an independent little guy like me. Also, connect with me online via Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hear All Ears. That's H-E-A-R, All Ears. I'll be posting extra bits and pieces up there for each episode, mostly visual. It's a really good time. And head to the Broadwave website for full transcriptions of all of our episodes and other shows you can check out. Broadwave. Broadwave.
3: Broadwave. Broadwave. Broadwave.